0: Well, we're still here, so let's talk about it. I've been spending the last few weeks talking about medical aid in dying, or as was traditionally known as physician-assisted suicide. In this series, we learned that the United States has 10 states presently who have legalized medical aid in dying. Other states are having their own conversations and legal battles and processes to have medical aid in dying in their own state. We learned that Canada, pretty much as an entire country, also has legalized this method of dying. Many countries in Europe as well have adopted this process. I want to talk a little bit about a statement that a doctor said in the pros and cons session last week. This was Dr. Shavelson, and he was the pro- position of medical aid and dying. And what he said is, natural death doesn't happen here anymore. That's been plaguing me ever since I heard him say that in the interview that I had been listening to. Natural death doesn't occur here anymore. What does that mean? I did some research. I came across some thoughts, that other people have shared that I'm going to throw out here for our purposes this week. The title of this article that I had read is, When Death is Important. And a statement that I had written down was that we trust doctors with our lives, but we don't trust them with our death. Wow. And so what does that mean? Well, from what I've gathered... It has to do with this idea of doing everything. We want doctors and doctors are trained, as we've looked at before, to do everything possible to save life. And we know now that bodies can be maintained on machinery and nutrition uh, by tube feeding, oxygen, by mask, indefinitely. But the question is, is there life? In that situation, even in the presence of an advanced directive, sometimes physicians will make every effort to save a life, even though the patients have these documents in place. There's a belief among some physicians that doing quote unquote everything isn't what a patient actually wants. Canada, for example, has begun a campaign called Choosing Wisely. It's encouraging patients to learn about palliative care and other methods to help a person who is terminally ill, who has a disease that really is no longer treatable, or the pain is just so much that they really cannot bear it. But there are options for pain control. We talked about terminal sedation, for example, but also there's so many different avenues that physicians and medical professionals can use to minimize pain and suffering to a much greater extent than has been possible in the past. That might just invite another opportunity to reconsider this idea of physician-assisted suicide or the desire to end a life because the life that one might have is not worth living in their present condition pain, disability, we've talked about dignity, independence, and autonomy are often just too much for a person to either deal with the loss of those things or to deal with the extent uh, and the severity of certain symptoms. Normally what happens is that emergency personnel are called in when a patient is decompensating with oxygen or their life is nearing the end, and we see them struggling, we will normally call 911, get this person help right away. On the other hand, palliative care is something that must be invited into our lives. There isn't a 911 for hospice, there isn't a 911 for palliative care providers. This has to be done when we are cognizant, and able to make these phone calls ourselves or discuss it with our family members so they know who to contact. 911's an easy three button push and you're connected immediately. And let's not forget that when we see someone we love suffering, we do tend to want help right away. When one signs on to hospice, you agree that you're not necessarily going to call 911. At least that was with my mom and my dad, my grandmother, and several other family members that I'm aware of who had hospice care. You're almost saying, I agree not to continue treatment because I want to die this natural death that I just read is kind of elusive now in this country. In Europe, they had what was known as the Black Death. It killed 50% of the population. And during that time, people were told to be prepared for death. Lots of people saw death happening around them. During that time, doctors began to interfere with natural death by removing the dying people from society, putting them in hospitals. And to now we're to the point where few people have actually seen a dead body. We've almost sanitized our population from death. The other notion about doctors wanting to do everything is this quote-unquote optimism bias that doctors have. But let's face it, doing more is not necessarily better. Sometimes the cure is worse than the disease itself. Depression has been found to be higher in families where more measures and more interventions are being employed. Yes, dying people are living longer, but is that really the best thing for them? CODA Alliance is what I was talking about before. Uh, I mentioned it in a couple episodes ago, but CODA Change is a podcast and it kind of discusses these topics. It also talks about giving patients the death patients want for themselves. A woman named Kate Stanton was on this podcast, um, the particular episode that I was listening to. And, you know, she just reminds us, we need to talk about dying. That's why I'm sitting here right now talking to you. I agree. Not that this is my favorite topic But it almost has become that because I feel so strongly and so passionately about this conversation. I won't say I talk about it every day, but it's on my mind every day for sure. If more people were interested, I absolutely would have this conversation every single day with as many people as possible. I don't find it sad, depressing, or scary. Quite the opposite. I find it illuminating There is so much to learn, so much commentary out there now that almost any question you have can be answered. Certainly, there are questions about the actual end of life that none of us knows. I go all the way back to my very first episode. The experts on death are already dead. We can't ask them questions. But we can observe how people die and over time, the more we become educated, the more we see an experience around death and dying, the more we can start to glean some information from those people we observed and care about or work with. There's the death cafe we talked about. And darn it, I'm going to miss two of them this month. Two, Two local people have now taken up the cause of the death cafe. I had stepped back and now two other people are on the scene making these these meetings available and I'm excited about it but also bummed because I can't go. I have other obligations on the calendar that's going to prevent it. But I am in touch with these people. I want to be having communications with those facilitators because I still want to be a part of it. I want to further this conversation. I want you to have these conversations. I want you to look at these websites and resources that I share. Go look for yourself and just educate yourself as much as you can. Not watching television necessarily, because we know that that's not really the reality of what death might look like. A gentleman that I interviewed, oh, gosh, I think it was in February, I can't remember, Jared Altick. He is the pastor and the volunteer chaplain for his local police department. He replayed our interview on his podcast the other day because he wants police officers, or remember, he calls them cops, so he wants cops to also be aware of, you know, having these conversations they see death sometimes in the, in the worst way, uh, tragically, violently. These situations that come up surprisingly, unexpectedly, and often the, the people die alone. And the police are the only people on scene who are managing this loss of a human being. Imagine what they must feel. We talked a little bit about it in the interview with Jared. But, you know, I imagine when they face that kind of death day in and day out, shift after shift after shift, it can be depressing. It can be sad. It can be difficult. And they may not want to discuss it for themselves and their own families. The other reality with police officers is at any moment, their life can be taken in the line of duty. It's just as important for them to have their family know what their wishes are, so that the family can do the work of grieving, knowing that everything that their person wanted is being managed and handled and taken care of. It's just a few less things that have to be done in what is just such a Chaotic, sad, it could be numbing, it could be tumultuous, it could be, pick your adjective, really, really tough for the family to handle. So you can see it's just one more population, one more reason to share your thoughts and desires around your end of life. A while back, and many times throughout my podcast in the last year, I've talked about this idea of the good death and what it means, why we even talk about it, why we we consider it. It's what we want at the end of our lives, whether it's medication, pain control, constant companionship or isolation, every single measure being taken or none at all, all the way up to and including medical assistance in dying, terminal sedation, any of those options that we are exploring uh, recently. I think the other part of this good death is to note what we don't want, but to also to reconcile relationships that are difficult, to acknowledge people that we love and will miss, to be able to review our lives and kind of decide, did we live the life that we wanted? Did we do all the things we wanted to do? Do we have regrets? Is there anything we can do about those regrets? Sometimes, and probably most times, the answer might be no. But it's good to at least review it. I think most of us want to think we have been good people, and that we did good things here on earth. And I believe that that can bring about some peace. And then maybe even a little comfort, or at least few things less to worry about at the end of our life. So we can go gently into that quiet place as we die. As I leave you today, I just want to leave you with these four statements. Um, Maybe they're my action statements. I don't know what I want to call them, but I wrote them down as items that I want to encourage. That's the best way to put it. I want to encourage conversation. I want to encourage revisiting this topic over and over as often as necessary or as desired. Encourage self-awareness and education around your wishes and desires, thoughts, questions, concerns. And then I want you to check out the facts for yourself. Make sure the people in your life, those important people, know what it is you want, what it is you don't want, what you're afraid of, what you're concerned about. Lastly, pursue reconciliation where it's possible. I keep dancing around, and I haven't actually said out loud this notion of really tough relationships that some of us have, that maybe we shouldn't approach those people or contact certain people because they can be dangerous to us, toxic to us, unhealthy for our psyche or our heart. I am not saying go pursue something that's going to be harmful. There are things we can do on our own in our own mind to settle some of those issues or some of those feelings. I have written letters and thrown them into a fireplace. I have written letters, crumbled them up and thrown them in the trash. I have written notes and shredded them, torn them into tiny little bits whatever it is, soaked them in water one time. (laughs) It was a way for me, since it was not a healthy option to have an actual conversation, to even attempt one, that I did my communication this way. I also talk to myself or cry out into the air, cry out to my God about these situations or settings, which I knew would not be good for me but I needed to say some things. Sometimes it helped. Sometimes there were tears. Sometimes it felt empty. For whatever reason, whatever the result, I felt better overall, having at least gotten it off my chest. And I think it helps clear the clutter out of my own head so that I can make stronger, more sound decisions because I don't have that chatter in my brain about these unhealthy relationships, unresolved disagreements, hurts, disappointments. There are many in my life and I'm sure there's many in yours as well. But if we can take this on ourselves with the letter or screaming out. I was doing that in my car recently as well. Um just I don't know why this person and I are having so much trouble communicating. We seem to miss each other in our points of view. And I'm not sure why, but I hope we can get to clarity. And yeah, my windows were up, thankfully, so no one heard me. But it just helps. It's that idea of cleaning the clutter out of my brain and out of my heart so that I can come to some sort of clarity in decision and moving forward for myself kind of leaving behind those relationships that no longer serve me or maybe never served me in a healthy way that's not really what I intended to talk about this particular episode but there it is right off the top of my head I hope that you found something helpful here I'll have some websites that I'm going to throw into the show notes. Thanks so much for being here. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening today. You can go to my website for more articles, little news pieces, or a transcript of this podcast. The website is whilewerestillhere.com. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can send me an email, too. Thanks again, and until next time... Take care.